This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Whereas the French have made mistakes, the French at, at a heart were hoping to try to secure the area and create security, the Russians have no such goals. The Russians are there in order to destabilize the region. Michel Sherkin, an analyst with 14 North Strategies, a Washington-based consultancy on how anti-French sentiment and pro-Russian support have followed Burkina Faso's latest coup. Details coming up. Also, Ethiopia's federal government says it has accepted an invitation from the African Union to take part in peace talks. And Uganda says a fourth health worker has died from the latest Ebola outbreak. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. But first, our top story, the trial of Felicien Kabuga, one of the last fugitives charged over the 1994 Rwanda genocide, resumed at The Hague today. Kabuga is charged with financing the genocide that killed more than 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus in 100 days. Kabuga evaded justice for more than two decades, allegedly used his influence and wealth to incite the killing of thousands of ethnic Tutsi civilians. He also alleged to have used his resources for radio broadcasts in Rwanda, denouncing the Tutsi and funding the Interhamway militia that carried out the genocide. For the latest on Felicin Kabuga's trial at The Hague, I talked live from The Hague, reporter Venust Shimimana. Venust, welcome to African News Tonight. And what was the focus of the court hearing today? The court hearing today at The Hague focused on the presentation of the first evidence. The first evidence meaning the first witness brought in by the prosecution. And it was all about the founding of the uh, RTLM radio, the propaganda radio, and the role played by Felicien Kabuga, the accused. So the first witness uh, was confronted by the prosecutor who asked him Uh, what he knew about Kabuga and how he met Kabuga. First of all, I need to tell you that we don't know who he is because his name was not disclosed, the voice was changed, and the identity also was not shared with the audience. Uh, What we know is what we heard in the courtroom because the witness claimed that on two occasions, in November and in February 1994 and November 1993, he met Kabuga himself at the Ministry of Information where he was working. And he said that Kabuga, who came to that meeting with a delegation of other RTLM founding members, were confronted by the minister about the editorial agenda of the RTLM. Uh, And uh, it seems, according to the witness, that Kabuga 
and his uh, uh, the member the other members of RTLM were adamant to continue to broadcast and to call Hutus to be vigilant. And this, especially in November, was said to have been done after the killing of the Burundian president, Merkur Ndadai. The suspect, Felicien Kabuga, decided to boycott the trial opening and stayed in from his jail cell last week. But the judges said the hearing would go on, so it went on. Venust, this is the second time now Kabuga did not show up again in court. Do we know the reason why? In fact, Kabuga was not in the courtroom, but he was somewhere else. He was in another room, a small room in his prison. And the reason why he didn't turn up in the courtroom was that he said from the beginning that he doesn't want to be represented by the French lawyer, Emmanuel Atit, who he said that he is not representing and defending his interests. So for the second time, the, the prosecutor said that Kabuga won't be in the courtroom, but you could see him uh, uh, in, in, in his prison, so where he was sitting, he was following, and probably he won't be seen in this courtroom yet until his demands are met. Uh, Venust now uh, talking about prosecutors. We understand the prosecutor wanted the hearing to be extended today. What was the response from the judges? In fact, the first response came from the uh, Kabuga's lawyer, Emmanuel Aichiti, who stood to ask the presiding judge that they needed to take into account that the, for medical reasons, Kabuga can't stand the trial more than two hours a day, and that extending would definitely be against the will of the, uh, his medical uh, advisors. So he, the presiding judge understood that for that reason, the trial should not go on and it was stopped, and he promised that the uh, tomorrow is where they will go for two hours a day. Ethiopia's federal government says it has accepted an invitation from the African Union to take part in the peace talks aimed at ending the ongoing civil war and halting hostilities against the country's Tigray region leadership. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. African Union Chief Musa Faki Mahmet extended the invite to peace talks in South Africa in a letter addressed to the leaders of the Tigray region and the Ethiopian federal government. Redwan Hussein, the national security adviser to Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, confirmed Wednesday morning that the federal government has accepted the invitation. The decision is in line with our principal position regarding the peaceful resolution of the conflicts and the need to have talks without preconditions, Redwan said. Separately, a federal government statement reaffirmed Addis Ababa's preference for peace talks mediated by the African Union. The Tigray region's ruling party and its forces currently fighting the federal government are yet to respond to the invitation. However, last month the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, released a statement saying it was ready to abide by an immediate cessation of hostilities and participate in an AU-led peace process. 
Fighting in Ethiopia's civil war renewed in late August, breaking a fragile truce that had been in place since March and halting much-needed aid deliveries to the Tigray region, where more than 5 million people need humanitarian assistance. According to the letter sent by Faki, mediation efforts by the AU's envoy for the Horn of Africa will be supported by former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and the former Deputy President of South Africa, Pemzuli Mulambo Nkuka. The letter says the talks are aimed at laying the foundation for a structured and sustained mediation between the two sides towards a durable resolution of the conflict. According to a diplomatic source in Alice Alba, this AU core mediation team will be supported by observers from the United States, the European Union, the United Nations and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or EGAD, an aid country trade bloc in the region. The talks in South Africa represent the highest level effort to date to end the nearly two-year war and follow at least three rounds of discussions between senior officials on both warring sides. Fred Harter for VUA News, Alice Arba, Ethiopia. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has sent a delegation to Burkina Faso after the country's second coup this year. Burkina Faso is one of a few West African states in recent years where the military has taken over as Islamist militants threaten the region. From Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, Henry Wilkins reports. As a delegation from the West African political bloc ECOWAS arrived in Ouagadougou on Tuesday, protesters took to the streets outside the airport. They shouted anti-French and anti-ECOWAS slogans and said it was time for Burkina Faso to manage its own return to security. The country has been locked in a conflict with militant groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda for almost seven years, experiencing its second coup in eight months this weekend. ECOWAS is expected to establish relations with the new junta leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore, and to reinforce a two-year transition period for the country to return to democracy, set up under the previous junta. Paul Menny, as an analyst at UK-based think tank Chatham House, asked what the delegation hopes to achieve, he said... They may want to gently explore what the attitude of the new leadership is towards military cooperation with other ECOWAS countries, and particularly Niger, uh, with whom uh, the Demeba regime had built a particularly strong, close military partnership. And they may hope also to get a bit of a steer as to whether the um, new regime will maintain the military cooperation with French forces. Burkina Faso is seen as a strategic linchpin in the Western Sahel conflict, with terrorism already spreading from its southern border to West Africa's coastal states. ECOWAS has a major stake in Burkina Faso's success in security matters. Michael Shirkin is an analyst with 14 North Strategies, a Washington-based consultancy. Burkina Faso falls, or as it falls, it puts in danger a lot of other countries that surround Burkina Faso. Today and over the weekend, many demonstrators could be seen waving Russian flags, while the junta has indicated it is looking to turn to new international partners, potentially Russia, to help rectify its security problems. Shurkin added, This also is bad news because uh, whereas the French uh, have made mistakes, the French at, at a heart were hoping to try to secure the area and create security, the Russians have no such goals. The Russians are there in order to destabilize the region and to stick as many fingers in the eyes of France as possible to make everything worse. And we've already seen from Mali that what Wagner would do if they were to come to Burkina Faso is basically just kill civilians. 
Andrew Lebovich is a research fellow at the Klingendale Institute, a Netherlands-based think tank. Asked what he thought the new junta could mean for security in Burkina Faso and the region, he said... It's already a quite dire security situation, and so anything that's further disruptive um, to the armed forces, to the chain of command, to ongoing operations would have a negative impact. Uh, It's going to make the already meager level of regional cooperation more complicated and more difficult. Thousands have died in Burkina Faso due to the conflict and almost two million people have been displaced. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. The French news agency AFP says militants killed 10 people, left 20 missing and burned 25 houses in an attack in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. A local civil society leader said the attack took place in the village of Vido in north Kivu province yesterday evening. Authorities suspect the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, a militia linked to the Islamic State. It's one of over 120 armed groups operating in the region. Uganda and the DRC launched an offensive against the group last year. The government placed North Kivu and Ituru provinces under the control of security forces in a bid to end the continuing violence. A new UN report says torture is widespread in the DRC's conflict zones with over 3,000 cases recorded over the past two years. You're listening to African News Tonight, live on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. A report submitted to the UN Human Rights Council warns the fragile political and security situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo threatens the country's human rights and fundamental freedoms. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. The United Nations says some improvements have been made in the Democratic Republic of Congo's human rights situation since its last report a year ago. However, it adds violations and abuses remain rife. It attributes most crimes to armed groups, but notes 44% have been committed by the DRC's armed forces and the Congolese National Police. That, it says, has led to a resurgence in restrictions on civic and political space. Christian Jorge Salazar-Folkman is director of the Field Operations and Technical Cooperation Division. He says political opponents, journalists, and members of civil society have been arbitrarily arrested by the intelligence services. I remain concerned about the proliferation of hate speech and messages inciting violence, discrimination, and hostilities, particularly in relation with the political competition, the armed conflict in the East, and intercommunal conflicts in the rest of the country. Volkman says one year before the next presidential elections, it is important to bring alleged perpetrators of the messages to justice and to prevent the security situation from further deteriorating. He says the security situation in the DRC's eastern provinces remain extremely worrying. Measures taken in the implementation of the state of siege, which came into effect on 6th of May 2021 in North Kivu and Ituri provinces, do not appear to have deterred armed groups from attacking civilians, particularly in internally displaced person sites. Nor have they reduced the number of documented violations and abuses. 
The United Nations says armed groups have killed thousands of people and forcibly displaced nearly five and a half million from their homes. The report finds the resurgence of M23 rebels in North Kivu since November 2021 has led to a further deterioration of security. Volkman calls for an end to impunity, which he says fuels conflicts in the DRC. He says perpetrators of crimes must be held accountable and brought to justice. DRC Minister of Human Rights Albert Fabrice Puella says efforts are being made to protect and promote human rights throughout the country. He notes the government was making progress in establishing the Transitional Justice Initiative. He adds the process of addressing past and current human rights violations will help prevent new conflicts and restore peace. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Uganda's Ministry of Health says a fourth health worker has died from the spreading Ebola outbreak that has killed 11 people. The outbreak of the Sudan strain of the virus began in September, but health authorities are also testing a suspected case of the Zaire strain. Alima Atumani reports from Kampala, Uganda. 58-year-old Margaret Nabisui, an anesthetic officer, is Uganda's fourth health worker to succumb to the deadly Ebola Sudan virus. Nabisui reportedly battled the disease for 17 days. Dr. Samuel Ledo, the president of the Uganda Medical Association, says Nabisui was to retire in two years. The Uganda Medical Association has been spearheading a call to Uganda's Ministry of Health to provide adequate protective gear to health workers and says there has been a good response. Oledo describes the state of hospitalized health workers. It's painful because there is no amount of words that can replace colleagues whom you've been working with. And it's our prayer that the family is compensated. We are glad that I'm our other colleagues who are doing so bad about three, four days ago, they're improving. So we are glad that those who are directing almost 36 times a day, they're now having about uh, three or four motions, which is good to us. Uganda registered the first case of the Ebola Sudan strain September 20th in the Mubende district, and the disease has spread to four other districts, including Kasanda, Chegegwa, Bunyangavu, and now Kagadi. The Ministry of Health has since moved all affected health workers into supportive management treatment at the Fort Porto Specialized Unit. But Dr. Tony Kapsandui, Program Manager for AMREF Health, notes that as more health workers succumb to Ebola, it sends fear and panic among health workers in an already ill-prepared health system. Kapsandui also says Uganda may have to brace for more Ebola cases if a suspected case of the Congo Crimean strain is confirmed in Amuru district in northern Uganda. And we got information from our project manager there that there is a case in Amuru, and uh, that interestingly is uh, the Congo Crimean uh, variant, not the South Sudan. We expect South Sudan most likely to show up in, in Amuru because it's at the border with South Sudan. Uh, but it, it's, it's the Congo variant. The Ministry of Health has yet to confirm the new variant case. If confirmed, it will be exactly three years since Uganda reported a case of Ebola Zaire virus. There is still no current and effective vaccine.
The Sudan Ebola strain was first reported in southern Sudan in 1976. Although several outbreaks have been reported since then in both Uganda and Sudan, the deadliest outbreak in Uganda was in 2000, claiming over 200 lives. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. A bipartisan group of 27 members of Congress sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken urging him to impose sanctions on Algeria's government over its purchase of advanced Russian fighter aircraft and air defense equipment. George Landrith, President and CEO of Frontiers of Freedom, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi the likelihood that the State Department will take action against Algeria when there is a big need for Algerian gas. On one hand, I'm not sure exactly what the Biden administration will do because they've not been consistently strong. So I wish I could tell you that the State Department will project strength and operate from a position of strength, and perhaps they will, and I believe they should. But I also think that many of the problems we see on the world stage today have been made worse by that instability and weakness that has encouraged some of these bad actors. But I think also part of your question asks about the need for Algerian gas, which I think is pretty much on point there. And again, if we hadn't in the United States shut down our own pipelines, I hadn't closed exploration and shut down oil leases and signaled to the energy sector that the Biden administration was going to move on to different forms of energy, which I don't think is very realistic anyhow. But when you're investing billions of dollars into that business before you'll actually get any of that money back, it's a real disincentive. And so I think we wouldn't need to ask that question if we had continued to develop our own energy capability, because we could have supplied them. And I'd also like to point out that we have inadvertently aided Russia and Russia's allies, including Algeria, by doing things that have driven oil prices higher. And those higher prices have helped Putin wage war. They've helped him fund that war. And they've also will help Russian allies like Algeria have billions of extra dollars. I think last year they spent 7 billion on Russian armaments. But I do think that The fact that that letter was bipartisan will put a lot of pressure on the Biden administration to do something in Algeria, and I hope it does. Members of Congress have said that Algeria is in violation of the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act, which allows for sanctions against any party that engages in significant transactions with representatives of the defense or intelligence sectors of the government of the Russian Federation. What sanctions can the U.S. impose on Algeria? Well, I'll probably just try to reflect back on the sanctions that were imposed on Turkey a few years back during the Trump administration after they purchased and included in NATO defenses certain Russian weapons. And those included, and they were, of course, based on the same law, the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. And those sanctions in that case included economic penalties on U.S. exports to the country, a ban on all U.S. export licenses and loans. They also included asset freezing on certain government officials who held assets that were in the United States. And then it also barred certain officials from traveling to or entering the United States. So 
I would assume that at least those sanctions are on the table, and there may well be additional ones that could be put brought to bear, because I do think the world, uh, and it's not just the United States, I think that much of Europe and, and other nations are very interested in seeing Russia not benefit from its war and trying to make it hard for them to benefit from the war and the nuclear threats and those kinds of things. That was George Landreth, president and CEO of Frontiers for Freedom, speaking with VOA's Mohammed El-Shinawi. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Nelson Lopes, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.